We are in a series of the Songs of Ascent, a set of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and we are, I think, right in the middle, Psalm 127. And so, let's go right to it. Psalm 127, listen to the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord, guide us in the understanding of your word. Guide us in its impact in our lives, in our understanding of our daily living of everything, Lord. For we know your word is truth. Guide my words. Guide all of our hearts now as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This psalm is about the ideal life and, and how to get it. The life that we all want and, and the work that it takes to get it, to keep it, and, and to grow it. What we think that ideal life consists of is, is different depending on who and when and where you are. The ideal life pictured in this passage is for an average ancient Near Eastern person. And in this passage, the ideal life is is characterized by a, a solid home that is safe and, and full of, of children. A hundred years ago, you can think of what the ideal life was for an average American. It was characterized by the white picket fence. Today, the, the forms that people perceive of as the ideal life are more diverse than ever. But, but however the form of the ideal life has changed through the years, the, the key elements of it remain. The elements that we see in this passage. We see someone building a home, a life. We see that life becoming sustainable and, and secure. And we see it growing and passing on. But this psalm is not nearly so much about what this ideal life specifically is as much as how do we get it? Where does it come from? What is the work behind it? This psalm is about the work that it takes to build, to sustain, and secure, and to grow and pass on our lives in, in whatever form they take. 
every one of us makes decisions about how we are going to get that life. What, what do we have to do? What's the work that it's going to take? And one of the key questions in any life is to ask how much and in what way is God involved in anything, in, in everything? Is he involved at all? What's his role? How much? In what way? So let me say this as clearly as this psalm does, right from the very beginning. God's work is more vital than anything that we're going to do. God is more involved in and central to the building, securing, growing our life than we could ever imagine or see. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes, but Psalm 127 is about work. It shows both the right way and the wrong way to work and to conceive of work. It it gives us a warning. It starts with a warning, and it gives us an example that glorifies God. The passage begins with the warning, unless, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Now, this is easily and often misunderstood, and people think that the psalmist is saying that work, really any real effort in anything, just ultimately has no value. Paul dealt with some people in Thessalonica who thought that since Christ was coming back again and going to take care of everything, they didn't have to do anything. They just needed to live by faith and not worry ourselves with working. So they they stopped completely. Some read this, this psalm that way. That's not what it means. Paul corrects the Thessalonians and he would correct those who misunderstand this psalm. And, but we do seem to swing between two different ways in which we face our world and the work, our work. Eugene Peterson characterized, them, characterized these, these two different ways as Babel and Buddha. All of us can point to people who know or characterize either one of these ways, and we can point within ourselves and see one or, or both of them. Let me explain them. And of course, Peterson and the psalmist propose a third way to face the world, a biblical way. The way of Babel is the the deification of work, of, of productivity. Remember the story of Babel? Even before Abraham, but after Noah, people came together to build a tower to heaven. And God frustrated their efforts to reach heaven by their own work, by giving them different languages and making it too hard to work together. It's a picture of us making an idol of our our own work as if we can, in our own efforts, get to heaven. Western culture, though, in essence, still has this at its heart. It's pretty clear secularism is a worldview without God, without anything other than what we can see right in front of us. Of course, that means God's not involved in anything. That leaves pretty much everything up to us. That's the worldview that's pervasive in our world right now. 
And how often do we tell our kids that if they just set their mind to it and work hard enough, they can do anything? That's, that's a huge burden. Huge burden on anyone. And one of the results is that it is, it's overwhelming people. But it comes into the church as well, particularly in ways like legalism, where we are functionally acting as if everything's up to us, and we're not going to trust God's promises or grace or His work on the cross, including, and it includes, we earn heaven. But it also affects us in small ways in the church, like when we think everything in church is up to us. If we don't do it, if we don't say it and do it all just perfectly, then this program or this production or this thing that has to get done is going to fail and God's purposes is going to be lost. It's all up to us. This view of church is one of the reasons people leave or just stay away. It's just because just church just becomes another burden. Still, we are a nation with, with hubs, with hubs where this view of work has become primary. Pittsburgh, where I lived for over a decade, has become one hub of this view. It's gone from the city of the hardworking steel worker to the center of the world of robotics. Carnegie Mellon's there, and it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a great focus on robotics, of, of building a, a productivity which is even more efficient than us. And with this hard work, we can manage and control the earth and other people. We can manage and control life. Seattle, oh boy, we're a key hub. We're a key hub of the, of the 21st century world of work. It started with the means of travel that has shrunk the world. Any one of us could be anywhere in the world tomorrow in the machines that we're building down the street. It's amazing. We're also a hub of the digital world where all the information and communication and entertainment in the world I can access from my pocket or from this little, this little thing I got in front of me right now. Finally, we're a hub of the retail world. In a consumer society, you can have anything. And two of the biggest sources of anything are based within 30 minutes of here. It's amazing. We're a big part of a world that we are working to build and to secure and to grow. But do you remember what happened to Babel? It doesn't, doesn't give us everything that we hoped for, everything that we longed for. It doesn't give us the ideal life. We can't build our own way to the ideal life, to heaven. We can't work our way to meaning and security by being good enough. We can't possess or produce enough of anything that in itself will give us the final fulfillment that we could pass on. Babel all over again. 
For many, though, the pendulum swings the other way, and we give up on work having anything to offer us. This is the way Peterson says it. Eastern culture is a, ves- is a, is a variation on the Thessalonian view. There's a deep-rooted pe- pessimism regarding human effort. Since all work is tainted with selfishness and pride, the solution is to withdraw from all activity into pure being. This view is seen by the image most of us have of the Buddha, of the statue of the the big-bellied, cross-legged, idle person, simply motionless and quiet. We go from the extremes in the West of all our doing to the East in simply and only being. And, and we see these two views of the world colliding all the time, and, and, and we think that we got to choose between them. Psalm 127 provides a picture that values but doesn't either condemn or glorify work. It gives us a perspective on our work and the world that brings life to it and from all of it. The premise of this psalm, the point of this psalm that we too often miss because we're so focused on ourselves, the point of the psalm is that God works. He is working. He builds, he watches and sustains and secures, and he creates and grows life and blessing to pass on. He is the creator. Peterson makes this point in kind of a dramatic way. The main difference this is a bold statement. The main difference between Christians and others is that, they, as it, is that we take God seriously and they do not. We really do believe that He is the central reality of all existence. We really do pay attention to what He is and to what He does. We really do order our lives in response to that reality and not to some other. Paying attention to God involves a realization that He works. The fact that our God is established from the very first sentence, the fact is our God establishes that He works from the very first sentence of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He did something. He made something. And from there, we simply get further description of God's work. He worked six days, and then he rested. He created. He worked through and in relationships with people. He works his redemption. We see his actions of compassion and judgment and salvation. And when we as Christians keep before us the work of God in all of its forms, when we stay in his word and, and, and see work culminating in, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we experience the revelation of his character in all that he does, 
when we see him working, then his work becomes reflected in us. We just, just look at Paul. Everything he wrote and did shows how a, a Christian's work is a natural, inevitable, and faithful reflection and development right from God's work. That means our work, it, it takes on a different character than, than the, the work of Babel. And our rest has a different character than the, than the quiet of an idol statue. The work, our work is not compelled by a, a, a search for meaning and love. We're not trying to make that up for ourselves. Rather, it's a reflection of already having that because God has given that to us and is working that in us. Nor is our quiet, our rest, an attempt to release ourselves from a need for those things. Our quiet is a rest and appreciation for God giving that to us. Our quiet has trust and gratitude and praise in it. Rather, our work, our work becomes an organic and, and joyful part of what God is doing in this world. It's energized and, and propelled by grace grace that we found in him, and it's reflected of the freedom and the peace that we found in him, so much so that one day a week, we reflect that peace when we stop working. We, come, we become free from an all-too-common compulsiveness to work. Hilary of Tours challenged us to be on guard against that compulsiveness that he called religiosa solicitudo pro deo a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. That's, that happens when church goes bad and, and Babel gets in. We start doing things because God's not doing it or, or anyone else. And we start shooting at others in the church for not doing what we think they should. But it happens when we lose touch with what God is doing. And, and the character with which he does it. It's when we become frantic and compulsive, like Babel. And it ends with fractured people who, who don't get along, or we become lethargic, and it all just drifts away, and nothing happens. Then we hear the echo of the psalmist's warning, if the Lord doesn't build the house. It's a hard warning. But when it works, when it works, the second half of the psalm gives us a picture, an example of one of the most beautiful ways God works. Children are a heritage of the Lord. In, con in contrast to the, the, the strenuous compulsions of, to build cities and buildings, we have a picture of the effortless work of making children. I, I told my daughter my eldest child, as I was dropping her off and saying goodbye to her in New York City in September of that, last, of that first year of COVID, as she began her post-college adult life on her own, I told her that parenting her and her two brothers is the most important thing 
her mom and I will ever do in our lives. They are the greatest work that we will ever do, the best fruit of our lives. Any of you parents, I know you're, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. On the one hand, my wife and I have put more energy and work into loving and raising our kids than any other single thing in our lives. They are our biggest work. But it is absolutely easy for me to say that Veronica and I, we can't take any credit for them at all. We didn't make them or make them who they are. They are so much more and other than a product of us. God did this. We are blessed to participate. We mess it up a whole bunch. But it wasn't like putting up a building where I can point to everything that I did with each brick. And it's not just about the amount of effort that points to God. What they are is a miracle. They are whole persons with whom we have a depth of relationship that, that brings fulfillment to our lives. Now, remember the setting of the psalm. The setting of the psalm is, this is sung, and they, are, they sing this song as families are making the journey up to Jerusalem. They travel with their families and they're singing about the blessing of children. It, 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 can be, it can't be much different than my family's experience in, of this sort of thing. The most bonding moments of, my fam, of being a family and experiencing the, the joy of our bond was our road trips that I was talking about last week. One of the first that I remember as a child is when we ended up stuck for hours in our car together. When I was about eight, our car died in California late on a Sunday night, far from anything else, at about 2 a.m. At, a, at an old, remember those old kind of gas stations? Just a couple of pumps and an and attendant, no mini mart, anything else like that. My dad found someone who was willing to help who drove 45 miles each way to pick up a belt for our foreign car and, and put it on. And we stayed up together that whole night, the whole family. And my parents, my parents made it one of the most memorable, fun, bonding nights of our lives. My sisters and mom and I still talk about it. And we drove out of that gas station as the, as the day was just beginning to dawn on our way home. It makes sense how the psalmist sings of the joy of being together. And for the psalmist, it wasn't about the relationships of their, just about the relationships of their nuclear family. They, all, they were all headed to a festival of the whole family of Israel. When you look at, at, the, at what the work of God produces at the house that he is making, it is the family of God. The building that he's building is us. His church, his people, our hearts for him. 
It's providing the means of mercy for the, for the wayward children so that he can welcome us back into the household with open arms. God's work is doing this. Our, and our journey is not just about our journey. It's not about having a good trip. Our pilgrimage is not what the story is ultimately about. It's about the love we have and grow in for our Father who's in heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and His Spirit who is with us always. And that love spilling out of us to each other and to the world. Here, here's what it all depends upon. God is working. And His work is building a good home for us that we will be a part of, where we'll all join in His ongoing work, and about once a week, we'll stop and enjoy it all together with Him. I want to I share two ways I see God present in our work, where we simply come alongside what He's doing. First, I want to say something about one aspect about my work as a pastor. Every week, I put in between five and 20 hours into this 20 minutes that I have with you right now. It's, honestly, it's almost always more towards the 20 than it is the five. When I went to seminary and they suggested that we would spend, on average, an hour of preparation for every minute of message even if it's preparing for the reading of the Scripture, we all thought they're crazy. There's no way it takes that long. And at least maybe after we've done it for a few years, we could cut it way down and just keep saying the same things over again. It's never gotten shorter. And it's work. It is work. And honestly, I've come to treasure every minute of it. And I... And especially in weeks like this, because I get, I get 20 hours of that which you get 20 minutes of here, and I get a deep dive into the Word of God, seeking the meaning of the passage and, and in its historical and literary context, and then I get the prayerful, gut-wrenching, enlightening, condemning, freeing consideration of what the Spirit is saying through this passage to me and to us. The funny thing is, oftentimes I'll plan, I'll plan topics and scriptures weeks and months out, not, not often knowing what's going to be going on in the world or in my world or, or with our world as a church at the time. But scripture, somehow it always speaks to the moment giving perspective and responsibility and direction and mercy and hope when we need it. Sometimes it's a kick in the pants, and sometimes it's being held in the arms of a reassuring father, and sometimes it's transforming power. But the Word always gives what we need right when we need it. And I'm grateful for the responsibility of having to to be in it every week and have something meaningful to say from it that just might be worthy of your time and effort to be here. And I trust that if God is working in all of it, it will. 
Not because I'm good, but because he is. Oftentimes what people see is not, not, not what, I in, what I saw or what I intended to say, but it's something in it for you that God is speaking. And as you do the, as you do the work of listening, not to me, but to him, and grafting his word into your life. When it's working, it's not me or you building the house. It is God building the house. But I also want to say something to you about the work that we're doing as a church with the vision team. The vision team has been hard at work considering the work God is doing among us. And we've looked back at how he's worked in the past here at New Hope to build this church, to secure and sustain it, and to grow it and pass it on. And honestly, this church has an amazing story. Even just the story of how this congregation 35 years ago walked away from its building in faith and grew in the process and is here. The vision team is also looking around at our community today and, and, and to see how and where God is working now. And we're seeing the places and ways we're being called to join in his work here in the coming season. And we'll be sharing more of this in the, in, in the coming weeks and months. And we'll do our very best to be, to be clear and compelling with what we see God doing with this clear and compelling, with this vision. But what we are seeing, I've got to tell you, it is exciting, but it's also incredibly challenging. One aspect of the road ahead for this church, and honestly for any church in the emerging culture, is just this. Unless the Lord builds the house, our labor is going to be in vain. Unless the Lord is doing the work to secure and sustain and grow us, we don't have a chance. Here's the good news. That's exactly what he does. It's exactly what he does for those who love and follow him, who depend on him every step of the way. We're not, we're not coming up with something and asking God to bless us. We're... we're asking how to be a part of what God is doing here, now, in this community and in this church today. For we believe in a God who is at work in this world. In the most vast and transcendent places of the stars and the nations and, and peoples, but also the most immediate and small places of people's hearts and lives today, those ideal lives. God is working his love and redemption. Do you want to know what an ideal life looks like? It's just this, one in which there is no doubt that God is building and sustaining and growing us. Let's pray.
God, we try so hard. We try so hard in our world to make something that's meaningful, to be, make an, an ideal and secure and growing life. But Lord, all that, all that comes from you. And we don't need to wait passively by for it to just appear. No, Lord, you are giving us and calling us by your grace to be a part of it. God, thank you for your word that reminds us it's not all up to us. And thank you for your grace that calls us and invites us into your work, to be a part of it, to share it, to be filled with it, to reflect it in ourselves. God, give us the grace to see what you're doing, even just a glimpse and the joy of a life that is part of it. God, thank you for your word. Guide us in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.